Welcome back, December 8th. Ryan, how was your weekend? Um, the rest of the weekend was pretty good. From Monday 5 through 8, that wasn't that great. Yeah, we'll, we'll touch on that here in a moment. Um, but before we get into it, as always, go listen to us on Apple and Spotify. Uh, download, subscribe, unsubscribe, re-download. Uh, be like my married couple friends. I always like to uh, mention them. Hey, download, subscribe, leave a rating. Uh, and Ryan, where can they follow us? Well, like you said, they can find us on Apple and Spotify for the show, but find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, we didn't have as many TikToks over the weekend with Instant Reaction, and we're going to jump back on that. But find us on all social platforms, follow along, share, comment, all the all the good stuff that social media offers us. Yeah, and we have some great guests coming up. Uh, things are starting to wind down on the college football season. Um and we are going to do college football at the uh, front half of the show like we always do NFL on the back half. But Ryan is a Steelers fan, so instant reaction due to the COVID uh, delays and everything. And, you know, Pittsburgh kind of getting the short end of the stick along with Dallas and this whole thing with Ravens, right? Um, you know, game was pushed to 5 o'clock on Monday. And, um, yeah, it, it – uh, wow, what a game. First half was kind of lackadaisical, really. Um, but, Ryan, instant reaction – well, instant reaction, pop bottles in Miami. It's it's time to do it. There's no more undefeateds left, so Miami uh, 72 team can get together. But uh, I'm I'm going to name names here because I'm I'm just not afraid to for this. You know, Washington won the game clearly. They were the better team tonight, and and Pittsburgh obviously tried to overcome injuries and couldn't do it. But I'd like to name two names that that I really think were glaring in this loss personally. Number one, tight end Eric Ebron, three drops right between his numbers. Even if they're not going to be surmountable gains, you can't drop the ball. And he has had a drop problem this season. Um, again, maybe those aren't chain moving plays, but I think that really leads into the other person that I am probably more upset with in this sense is our offensive coordinator, Randy Fickner, because I just – I. And I've said this before. I've never spent a day in the NFL in my life. I don't know what that life's like. I, I'm just a casual armchair observer. You can't tell me that with a 17-year quarterback, a quarterback who's played in three Super Bowls, that there's not a more open playbook for him than what we have. Calling a draw third and 10 on your own 10-yard line, trying to open it up, I, I, don't know what, I don't know what has to change, but clearly play calling has to change. Um, I'm not going to use injuries as an excuse on the defense. So certainly there was a few of them tonight that affected the way the defense played. But all in all, again, credit to Washington. The NFC East race is really heating up, which I know we'll talk about on the back half of this. But, I mean, Pittsburgh and Kansas City are still the top of the division. It's It's going to be a fight over the next four-game stretch for the one seed. But as I sit here right now, I'm not happy about the result, but we'll retool and try again against Buffalo. Yeah, I'm uh, glad you brought up the, the playoff picture because, you know, it, it's taking shape. Uh, Pittsburgh obviously drops to 11-1. and one. I never thought they were going to go undefeated. I don't think you did either. No. It only happened one time. Uh, but it is, you know, always interesting when you get teams like this, 11-0, and 10-0, whatever, and they start talking about that. You know what I mean? Um but the Chiefs, 11-1, and one, they won last night against Denver. Um, it's just uh, – for, for Pittsburgh, Kansas City is obviously the toughest matchup. However, Pittsburgh might have 
one of the toughest uh, schedules going down with two out of their four games, one being against Buffalo uh, this Sunday night, which is a massive primetime game. And we'll touch on that on Friday's episode. But uh, then they have Cleveland and Cleveland's nine and three. We'll talk about that game. But overall fun game. I think the first half, I don't know what it's been like in Pittsburgh. I don't know what the refs are. You know, maybe they're drinking Iron City light beer that they have in Pittsburgh. I don't know. But the last two games in Pittsburgh on Wednesday and Monday football have been very strange at the end of the first half where the refs like, we forgot to bring in the game ball. That's why the clock stopped. And it was administrative issue. That, that felt weird, almost just as weird as them not calling time during the Baltimore-Pittsburgh in the first half on Wednesday. I just – that game was so interesting in the first half because Washington did have chances to score and take it over. But then Pittsburgh didn't really capitalize, right, like in the second half like they should have. They were up 14-3 going into half. Nice solid lead, you think, for an 11-0 team. But Alex Smith, you know, I don't think he gets enough credit. He played really well. Uh, the defense played really well. Uh, that shot of Alex Smith's ankle, though, that was that was a little uh, <laughs> interesting to look at. All the all the blood uh, dripping out of his uh, legs there, but yeah, just very very solid, good game. And Montez uh, Sweat, you know, they talk about him on the broadcast at least five or six times. He did play really well. Um, really, where Pittsburgh lost the game was in the red zone. Uh, there were a couple possessions in the third quarter. Excuse me, third quarter where Pittsburgh because easily had a touchdown but balls were being dropped by running backs and things like that. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, so- solid game for Washington. Well, consider the fact too, that obviously Washington has one of the better front sevens in football. And, and they talked about that throughout the broadcast. And really, if you've watched Washington any of this season, you kind of know that it's went under the radar because they've been worse on the record side, but Ben Roethlisberger tonight threw 53 passes in a game where the team only scored 17 points. That is a testament to how bad this running game has been. And I don't think it's all because James Conner's been on the COVID list the past two games. It's It's been going on a little bit longer than that. But if you're going to be an established team moving forward, you're going to have to establish the run a little bit more. And the leading rusher tonight was rookie Anthony McFarland, and he had four carries for 15 yards. So that's that's not going to cut it moving into the playoff time. You you can't throw the ball 53 times unless you're in a in a shootout of 63 to 66 proportions. Very true and I guess the last thing because Pittsburgh does play Buffalo on Sunday night game which is going to be fantastic. I can't wait to preview that game on Friday. But but whether there's fans in limited capacities or there's no fans whatever um if Pittsburgh doesn't have the buy, if they're the one team that doesn't have the buy, that changes a lot, I think, because that wild card weekend that we're going to have in the playoffs this year in the new format, Pittsburgh actually could end up playing Cleveland back-to-back weeks because they close them out in the regular season. And they could end up facing, depending on where Cleveland falls in the seating, they could end up playing Cleveland on wild card weekend. And hey, you know, sitting at number six, Miami sitting at number seven right now, the Colts, the Raiders at number eight, sitting on the outside. We'll talk about that all on the back half, but that's just, it's a very interesting dynamic that's taking place in the AFC. And I think whoever, you know, gets into the AFC playoff picture, no matter what team it is, I think someone from the AFC is going to win the Super Bowl because that conference is just stacked top to bottom. And it's not like the NFC, but we'll talk about that 
all on the back half, but college football, A&M Auburn, what a game at noon on ESPN. Kellen Mond, man, he's just uh, balling out right now. 196 on Saturday, two touchdowns. He is one of two quarterbacks in SEC history, along with Dak Prescott and Tim Tebow, pretty recognizable names there. 9,000 pass yards in SEC as a quarterback. Pretty good company. Uh, that Texas A&M team could find themselves sitting at number four, sliding into the playoff picture because now that Notre Dame is playing Clemson and it's, you know, it's set in stone, right? And they had AFC champ, uh, AFC, ACC championship game. Mines are on the NFL. Right, right. <laughs> um we know that that's going to be a playoff quarterfinal. It's a, it's an essential elimination game. The only way I see the committee on December 20th, looking at Notre Dame and keeping them in the four, because to me, it's Alabama, right? Clemson, right? Notre Dame, right? Ohio state. What's going to happen with them. We still don't know because of the big 10, they've only played five games. I mean, it's just, what are we doing there? Because that, that to me doesn't feel like a big enough sample size to put a team over Texas A&M or a Florida. And Florida is going to play Alabama in the SEC championship game. So we have all these things that are going to take place, but that Notre Dame-Clemson game will be a playoff elimination game. And A&M could find themselves – look, they didn't look great early in the first half. They did not look great in the third. But really what started to happen going late into the fourth, Kellamon in the running game really took shape. And uh, I, I really do think A&M can find themselves sitting at that four slot um, when it's all set and done because I feel like Clemson's just going to beat Notre Dame, especially when Trevor Lawrence didn't play that first game. Well, and, and you said it regarding this game. It, it never necessarily felt like A&M was going to lose this game, but it definitely felt like they were on their heels a little bit in the first half. Um, oddly talking about Bo Nix beating them with their legs with his legs potentially in the first half is kind of strange, but Texas A&M is obviously the better team and came back and rallied, but you're right. It does create an interesting playoff scenario because of all the caveats, I guess is the best way to say it. I don't know how I feel at this point. So there's, there's obviously optimism about Michigan and Ohio state being played this upcoming Saturday. If that game is not played, I don't know how I feel about Ohio State making a playoff with four teams. I really don't. And and it's – I have ads playing here on my computer of dogs eating things, and that's distracting me. I apologize, fans. But <laughs> um, but basically, it's you're right. It's just not a large enough sample size. I would find it hard to put a team that's only played five games in a, in a playoff and claim that they've been overtly better than everybody else in college football – when they've only played five games, their biggest game being Indiana. Indiana is not a bad team. And we saw that reassured again on Saturday, even without their star quarterback, but Ohio state only having played five games. I don't think you can give them the nod personally. Now, if they play this game and they come out and they're convincing, we, we might have a different discussion about that, but that's to be seen. I, I think Depending on the results of the Clemson-Notre Dame game, which which will obviously be coming up in a few weeks, I think you have an interesting playoff scenario. I don't know if there's a set four. Uh, obviously, the committee feels that Ohio State is in there right now, but 
I don't know. I, I just feel as if I was on that committee, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a team that's only played five games in there over a Texas A&M team or even potentially a Florida team that is, in my opinion, a better team right now. Yeah, and Kyle Trask is definitely top three or four Heisman frontrunner, and I know that doesn't really matter when it comes to the playoff picture. However, him going against Alabama in a few weeks in that SEC championship game will be huge for him. I think when it comes to sample size, Barry Alvarez, uh, AD of Wisconsin, came out and said it, you know, we need maybe we need to reevaluate the process this year um, because the qualifications for the Big Ten championship game were, were you had to at least play six games. I think Barry Alvarez is in the mind, maybe some of those other athletic directors in the uh, Big Ten conference, hey, we can get Ohio State in the playoff if we just change the rules a little bit. And I don't think that's fair. But I also think if Notre Dame was to lose a close game against Clemson, I've always been the guy that says when it comes to the playoff picture, if you lose a conference championship game and you're a team looking on the outside at that five or six spot or you're sitting like where Notre Dame is right now, number two and Clemson's number three, you don't deserve because that's the final weekend to make a statement to get into the playoff. And I don't think a two loss Notre Dame team when let's be honest, they would play Clemson the very next week because it would probably stay Alabama one, Notre Dame two, Clemson three, probably Ohio state four, if they went out, even with the not, not a big sample. I just think that if you're playing a team three times that could actually happen with Notre Dame and Clemson, I just don't believe that that's something the committee once having a two loss Notre Dame team playing the same team. You, you see what I'm saying? Like well, just, a one, a one loss Notre Dame team, if they lost to Clemson in the championship. Oh, one loss. That's, that's right. Um, I just don't, I, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I think it's tough because now I'll say this when it comes to the college football playoff every year, I, I root for chaos because same. typically my, my, our Mountaineers were both WVU grads. They're, they're not typically in the playoff picture. So when it comes to the playoff rankings, I root for chaos. I want top teams to lose and I want it to shuffle. I want it to be a question because this, this, what's the, what's the best word to say? This mentality that we've created around the college football playoff is, is that conference championships matter in some scenarios. They don't matter in some scenarios. Well, if you beat this team, but you couldn't beat this team, that matters or that doesn't matter. It's it's strange, right? It seems like it's a moving target every single year when it comes to the college football playoff and make <laughs> this year is going to make it even more difficult because we're talking about teams that have started two months later and, and potentially a team that only has played five games. And we're going to claim that they have the resume to do it on potentially four or five less games. And that just doesn't that just doesn't feel right in some scenarios, but it but in the scenario that you give, what I would root for personally, wouldn't it be fun to see a weekend in college football of of rematches in a sense? So think about if if Florida goes into the SEC championship, plays a great game against Alabama, say it's a 31-28 game, Clemson does something very similar and beats Notre Dame. Wouldn't you like to see those two teams, those two rematches again? Wouldn't that kind of be fun? Or, or are you kind of against the idea of a rematch in, in the playoff? 
if I saw Clemson and Notre Dame for a third time this season, to me, that's not exciting. I'm looking forward to the second matchup, but I don't want to see it a third time because really what that does is take luster off that game. And really with Cincinnati sitting at seven right now, I would love to see Cincinnati to slide in there. And the only way for that to happen is chaos, whether that's mm-hmm. Notre Dame losing and Ohio state, whether that's Texas A&M winning out. I just, I, I don't think Cincinnati will get in there, but those are the kind of scenarios I root for in the playoff. And I, you know, it's good that there are two conference championship games, at least where we sit on December 8th, set in stone, Alabama and Florida, Clemson, Notre Dame. Can't wait to get to championship weekend, but sticking with uh, all things playoff picture, man, Indiana, they just continue to surprise us, right? I mean, they lose Penix Jr. for the season on an ACL injury. Me, I'm, I'm assuming you didn't either, didn't think they could win this game against Wisconsin, especially with Wisconsin coming off a loss to Northwestern. But quarterback Tootle for Indiana, backup quarterback, 130 yards, two touchdowns. Look, he didn't, you know, light it up, right? But he had two touchdowns, very efficient. Um, that was a very, one of those ugly Big Ten wins. Um, punt the ball, run the ball, you know, uh, 14-6, 3.30 kickoff, things are getting dark around five, and the whole game is just in limbo, really, because Wisconsin didn't play well. Um, I think really what's hurt Wisconsin Wisconsin this season is delays. I think Mm -hmm. for teams in NFL and college, that's actually a huge factor, and for Wisconsin – I think next year going forward, looking down the road, they will be a huge contender. And typically they're sitting in Indy as a Big Ten title contender. But I, I mean, I think they could actually be a national title playoff contender next year with the way Mertz will grow from year one to year two. Well, and, and to your point, too, about it hurting Wisconsin as a whole, it really hurts a freshman trying to find a rhythm, right? Graham Mertz has not really been able to find that rhythm when he's looked good. He's looked good. When he's looked bad, he's looked bad. You expect that from a freshman quarterback, but throw in the idea of a pandemic where every other week your games are postponed or him himself even tested it positive for the virus. How are you supposed to find your rhythm? How are you supposed to go out on a field every week and, and, and play and understand the, all the intricacies of a football game? But give credit to Indiana. You're right. Give credit to Indiana, them coming out and not stopping. Uh, if you told me that that there was a game that ended 14-6 that mattered a lot to the end of the Big the Big Ten race, the Big Ten kind of conference championship picture at the end of the season, I'd have told you Wisconsin played in it. Now, I might have told you that they won the game, but that clearly sounds like a Wisconsin game uh, where they're going to they're gonna play in that game, right? But Indiana, you're right. Toodle came out. Not a bad game. Wasn't a flashy game by any means. That's just pure Big Ten smash mouth hits you in the face kind of football. That's that's what you come to expect, especially when Wisconsin's playing in a game. But the one thing, and I watched a good bit of this game that I really take away from it is I love Tom Allen. I love Tom Allen. He feels like it feels like he's really building a program there at Indiana. His players respond to him. They want to play for him, even when all kind of seems lost. Whenever you lose your quarterback, they rally around. He has his guys ready to play. And you have to figure that recruits are going to take note of that, too, and they're going to want to play for that, too. So I think Indiana, is as much as Wisconsin, I think, will be the long-term contender, 
I don't think Indiana's going anywhere anywhere soon, anytime soon either. No, and um, I certainly hope Tom Allen's one of those coaches that stays at a program like Indiana and can build something and doesn't just go and leave for a bigger job. You know what I mean? And I understand that's the business of college football. You know, James Franklin is a classic example. Did it at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt hasn't been good since. He went on to Penn State. Penn State, you know, except for this year, constant, you know, reminder of why Penn State's one of the best teams in the um, Big Ten. But sticking with big games, um, Iowa State, WVU. I mean, that, you know, I'll toss it up to you. I mean, Iowa State is going to play Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game, which is a weird sentence to say. Iowa State has a very slim chance looking on the outside because they're sitting at number nine right now. They're clearly going to move up when the rankings come out later today. Um, But that game against Oklahoma can really propel them um, into, I don't know, maybe not the playoffs, but they can get a very, they're going to get a very nice at large bowl berth, you know, one of the new year's six. Um, What's your, what's your thoughts on uh, Iowa State WVU? So the the biggest thing here, I, I want to start with WVU. I'll come back to Iowa State in the scope of this here. So I said on the show a couple of weeks ago that my confidence level in beating Oklahoma was higher this year than it may have been in the past because we were playing an Oklahoma team that wasn't quite themselves and this was this was pre the postponement of this game back to this upcoming weekend. But I thought that if we played them, we may be able to play a tough game against them, really give them a game and maybe beat them on a last second field goal. That's that is literally all gone now after seeing that game. My, my confidence actually probably has never been lower at this point in winning that game. I don't know. I don't know how you have two weeks to prepare. Now I understand some of it is, is that you're implementing a game plan for one team. You're a little bit thrown off by that, but you get the extra rest to come out and play a good Iowa state team. Obviously they're playing in the big 12 championship, but to lose the way West Virginia did completely outmanned, completely out physical, absolutely nothing to show for the game, except two field goals in the fourth quarter. What, what is that? What, what exactly What exactly are you supposed to feel good about coming off of that game, going into your last game playing Oklahoma? Uh, there's nothing to feel good about. You watch that game and you're just demoralized. And, and I think that's the way that it should be. I, of course, we're still fans, but it's, it's a tough pill to swallow knowing that if we won one of these two games, we would be likely at six and four. I don't think we'd have won both of them. We can still beat Oklahoma if something absolutely insane happens. But again, my, my confidence has never been lower thinking about that. Now to Iowa State. We said this last weekend, and, and I'll say it again. Matt Campbell is building a winner at Iowa State. Five years ago, if you would have said Iowa State is going to be a team to watch, everybody would have looked you up and down and laughed at you. But Matt Campbell has put a more than respectable football team on that field and no tough test or no small task, I should say, against a West Virginia defense that ranking wise this season has been at the top of the list in the Big 12 and college football, for that matter. 
to come out and control the way they did. They put up a good game against West Virginia and they earned it. Now I'm interested to see how the next game going in against Oklahoma is going to be for them in, in the Big 12 championship, because you're right. There's a lot of implications on that. Uh, I think number one, more than anything, just to say that you beat Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. They seem to be the ruler of that in all regards, and, and everybody seems to agree on that. So for a team like Iowa State to go in there and beat them, that puts the program at an all-time high that that may not be matched again soon unless they unless they keep it up moving forward. Yeah, and you are right. Matt Campbell is building a winner of names. And, you know, a rivalry that kind of flies under the radar, at least nationally, is um, – the Cyclone Hawk Bowl, um, I think I pronounced that correctly, um, between Iowa and Iowa State. That's typically played around second, third weekend in September. And it's one of those rivalries that luckily got to stick around when all realignment was happening in early like 2011 and 2012. But next year, that'll be a fun game to watch because I was probably going to end up being in a top 25 team. Iowa state's probably going to, depending on how they finish out the year, you know, how always AP preseason polls are, you know, the, a lot of voters put stock into how a team finishes, you know what I mean? When they have no idea what a team will be going forward, but that could be a very good fun matchup next year and top 15, top 25 matchup game that we look, you know, way down the road, but Iowa state's building something in Ames. Matt Campbell is clearly clearly becoming one of the best coaches in the big 12, if he's not already. Um, I will say this about WBU. They're not a football school anymore. We grew up with them as a football school. They are not. Okay. The last time I thought they were a football school is Dana Holgerson's 2014 Clint Trickett team. And they always kind of teetered on the fence with, you know, having a seven and five, eight and four type season, right, with Dana. But then Neil Brown, and I know you're a big Neil Brown guy. I am not. Um, but they're not a football school anymore. WVU basketball has overtaken that program as the best thing to watch out of Mountaineers athletics. And they beat Georgetown yesterday. And let me tell you that I know it's only December, but that WVU team, just talking about basketball real quick, they could end up being in the Elite Eight or Sweet 16. And they were in the Sweet 16, which are Bon Carter years. But this team feels very special this early on, especially going forward with a Big 12 conference schedule coming up. And I just I, – I would not be surprised if people see WVU in the Elite Eight in March. But – let me address one other quick thing here real quick on that. I've, I've actually said that for a while, that WVU is a basketball school. And one of the reasons is, and, and I'm going to come off as a little bit of a hater here, but I, I, it doesn't really bother me. Everybody wants to believe West Virginia is a football school because of what they saw during the Pat White and Steve Slayton years when Rich Rodriguez was the coach. And, and one thing you will commonly hear from fans of, of WVU football is, well, that's the standard. That's the standard. That's, that's what we have to, that's what we have to achieve every year. West Virginia has, they've been a program for 128 years, 29 years at this point. They have nine, 10 win seasons. Three of them were during that era. That's not the standard folks. That's not the standard. That's the exception to the rule is, is that West Virginia football had an incredible run 
with some of the most talented players that they've ever had at one time. Not saying there haven't been other great teams, but you have to understand that the standard is not 11 wins every year. This is not Oklahoma. It's not Alabama. It's not a blue blood program. It's different. If we can get that through and, and we can continue to build winners and only continue to get better, it's a process, but it, hopefully we can get there. But please, West Virginia fans, stop saying that the standard is the Pat White years because it is truly not. Yeah, people look forward to football Saturday all year. Not not all season, all year. Look to football Saturdays in Morgantown. What people should start paying attention to is basketball Saturday, basketball Tuesday or Wednesday, because we're a basketball school. It's just it, it flat out is the truth. And this team, for any of our listeners out there, whether you're a WVU fan, whether you're not a WVU fan, take notice because this is going to be one of the best teams in the Big 12 going forward. And, hey, look, they didn't win a Big 12 title with Javon Carter. They could have easily done it. Um, you know, the, the Buddy Heald year where Buddy Heald went off for Oklahoma, they could have won a Big 12 conference championship in the tournament that year as well. Um, just watch out, you know, and, and that was uh, that was Big 12 basketball talk. Other real quick Big 12 uh, <laughs> note um switching back and forth between sports here we're all over the place okay um is oklahoma state lost to tcu 29 22 gary patterson is still the coach there doesn't shock me one of those late november december games where teams can get chirped up especially in a season like this where everything's all jumbled anyway um yeah that that i didn't watch most of the i didn't watch really any of the game except for like the first second quarter um like like tad bit but um good, good for tcu good for tcu um finishing up the uh, college football slate i don't know who bill roth is i don't know who dustin fox is those were the announcers for the coastal carolina byu game and i thought to myself when was the last time i was like oh man i gotta put on espnu for a football game and i thought to myself all day i was like man like Herbie and Fowler should be doing that game. And I think they would have been if it wasn't on ESPNU. I mean, Herb Street and Fowler were doing the Clemson-Virginia Tech game where sprinklers went off during, um, you know, the game, which is an all-time funny moment, right? Because go figure. But, I mean, that game was so, so good. Zach Wilson, 240, one touchdown. Coastal Carolina's running back, C.J. Marbell, 132 yards, two touchdowns. BYU would take a score. Coastal Carolina. BYU, Coastal Carolina. Like that the whole game. And then Coastal Carolina takes the lead at the end of the fourth quarter, essentially. You're like, ah, man, BYU didn't have a chance, right? They drive down the field. And look, it's it's a game between two nine and zero teams that was made on Thursday, played on Saturday. So credit to BYU and Coastal Carolina for getting it done to save something because what that'll do for Coastal Carolina, obviously, essentially put them in a New Year's Six bowl, right? And BYU is going to drop, but it'll also move Coastal Carolina up in the rankings, which they need because that was a signature win for them. So no matter where they fall, whether they go from eighteen to fifteen or eighteen to you know fourteen, whatever, it's going to bump them up. But then 
BYU goes down at the two-yard line with no no timeouts. I think if BYU had one timeout with one play left, they would have won that game. But then this guy, Bill Roth, calling the game, says, oh, my gosh, that was a better ending than the Super Bowl between the Rams and the Titans. Uh, let, let me let me stop you there, Bill. I know you're trying to, you know, sell the game that you're uh, doing, but uh, no, it's not. And um, we're in Myrtle Beach, the Chanticleers and the BYU Cougars, okay? And, you, you know, you got ESPN cameraman not realizing, but there was at least like a five-second delay where they didn't realize students after Coastal Carolina won throwing up middle fingers. Um, it, it, it is not a better ending than the Super Bowl, okay? Let's just put that out there. But what a game on Saturday. Uh, weird kickoff, though. I, I You know, weird kickoff. 5.30, yeah. Um, Ryan, thoughts? Well, number one, shout out to my buddy who works at North or Coastal Carolina, Alex Hamble. I'm sure he was excited to witness that game in person, uh, working for the athletics team down there. But so regarding, I want to start with what you what you said about the the ending of the Super Bowl because when he said it, my first thought was, I know what you're getting at because I'm I'm watching that play in my head. I'm watching Kevin Dyson fall back and reach his arm out. I'm I'm reliving that in my head. I I know what he means, but we're talking about a we're talking about a game of mid-majors. Now, albeit a great game. We're talking about two mid-majors at you know, middle of the pack in the in the top 25 versus the Super Bowl. Something that tens of millions, hundreds of millions of eyes are on every year. The the comparison of plays, yes. The comparison of of the moment, not not necessarily correct. But I'm I'm glad you brought that up because because I if you weren't going to, I was probably going to address that. So thank you. But the game itself, what an incredible game! That's exactly what you hope for when you watch a game of two ranked teams. And if you told me that one of the potential games of the year with big implications really for both schools at the beginning of this season is going to be a game number one that's not even on the schedule because you're going to have to throw it together but as a team of BYU and Coastal Carolina nobody would have ever believed that and now we have a Chanticleers team that is number 11 in the nation Coastal Carolina is ranked 11th in the nation and just for everybody that's wondering uh, that's better than Georgia that's better than Oklahoma that's better than Texas, and it's better than Wisconsin. Just looking at some of the big programs ranked in the top 25 right now. It's a miracle season down there at Myrtle Beach for them. They have to feel good about this. If, if they never have another winning season again, remember 2020 because it was a fun ride. Yeah, and uh, they're, they're number 11 in the AP poll, which at this point, you know, I guess matters, but not really because, you know, all, all Fox and ESPN do is do the playoff rankings of where teams fall, but we'll see, we'll see where they fall uh, later tonight on Tuesday rankings, but we're not done our college football talk just yet. Uh, Ryan, tell everyone who we have uh, on the show today. Well, UCF claimed a national championship and they didn't even play in a national championship. Yeah, they put up so. a banner. Up a <laughs> so banner. If, if they can do that, Coastal Carolina can have whenever they want to, but uh, our interview today, Ryan, Fantastic interview, just continuing the trend of great interviews on our show. We have ESPN analyst and recruiting expert Tom Luganbill. 
college football never felt more real than sitting there talking to Tom during this interview. I, I don't know how you felt about it personally, but great insight all around on all fronts. And now our interview with Tom Luganville. All right. Now we welcome on former JUCO national champion, uh, currently a recruiting and scouting expert and ESPN sideline reporter, the wonderful Tom Luganville. Tom, thank you for joining us here on the Two Ryan Sports Show. Oh, it's good to be with you guys. It really is. Yeah, again, thank you for doing this. We really appreciate it. And, and Tom, we, uh, we really want to talk college football here with you today. That's, that's your expertise and one of our big things here on this show. Uh, so one thing that's kind of on everybody's mind going into the, the latter half of this season is, is about the playoff. So yeah. we, we know that the, the playoff rankings have dropped and, and there's everything leading up to it, right? So what is, what is this season going to look like with the playoff? How is it going to be different? Uh, how will COVID impact it? What if there is an outbreak leading up to the championship? Uh, you know, what, what can you kind of tell us about how that'll look? Well, I think what you just alluded to is the most alarming part of the equation because hearing Bill Hancock's uh, comments earlier in the week essentially revealing that they have no plan. They, they haven't developed a contingency plan to come out publicly at this point in time. We're almost in December. And to say that they will not be adding, uh, you know, either the fifth or the sixth ranked team to the top four if a team has a COVID outbreak. But at the same time, also not confirming that that team that wouldn't have an opponent would not necessarily just be thrown into the national championship game. Well, you can't have it both ways. You've got to have some form of a plan. And I found that very disturbing because we're not, at, you know, this isn't like COVID just snuck up on us three weeks ago. I mean, this has been going on for quite some time. Uh, there, there should be more clear, defined answers. I think one of the ways that you get to it is you come up with a, a very specific, stringent protocol bubble that all four teams would have to go into. And you make it very similar to what, to the, what the NBA has done. You ensure that you go to such lengths that the college football playoff uh, committee does not have to come up with a plan for the what if, even though there are no guarantees. But that's the only path I see this thing taking to, to make it work. Because, listen, you're going to have, and, and that would include, you know, kids not going home during break. You're missing Christmas. I mean, that's the sacrifices you'd have to make to play for a national championship. And I think every single one of them to a person would, would be willing to do it. And, you know, I, I think the, the bigger challenge, especially with the first release of the, of the rankings uh, coming out this week, is you're going to hear that phrase. We've heard it before, but you're going to hear it a lot this year. Data points. You know, what happens if somebody wins their conference in Ohio State or Northwestern or somebody wins their conference and they're 7-0, and missed two games, and you're putting them up and you're trying to stack them against, let's just say, a Clemson who – uh, avenges their loss to Notre Dame. Now Notre Dame has one loss that, that came in the championship game to a top four team. Would you take an undefeated Big Ten champ that played seven games or a one-loss team that played 11? There's a lot of muddy water there. And I think that, um, you know, we're going to find out because here's what's happening, guys, is we're running out of makeup dates. We're running out of time. So there are going to be some moments. We saw what happened with Clemson and Florida State. Now, there's an opportunity for them to make that game up on December 12th, but not everybody that runs into a COVID issue is going to have the same opportunity. So these games are going to be so critical. And if you are in the Pac-12 or the Big Ten and you didn't have a full slate of games to begin with and you've gotten off to a late start, it could end up backfiring on you. 
so a, a quick follow-up to that one interesting point that could come out of this. I know we've talked for years about expanding the playoffs. Could it go to six teams? Could it go to eight teams? Does a year like this further that argument or does it work against it going forward? Well, it works against it only in this, in this regard. And that is you are opening Pandora's box. You are, you are allowing the one thing that the committee has dug their heels in deeper than any other issue. And they do not want to open that can of worms. And, and I get it. Um, listen, it's already a subjective process with four. Um, in this particular year, I do think that you could potentially have um, at least six teams, maybe seven, that are legitimate contenders to potentially win the national championship. I don't think that's normally true in most years. I think most years there's a pretty significant drop-off between the four and everybody else. And I think if you were going to expand it or give thought to it, you wouldn't expand to eight. You'd expand to six, give the top two seeds a bye, let the other four play, and then follow it up thereafter. If you did that in this climate, the question that you would then have, because here's the thing. For those who say, oh, we should expand it to six or we should expand it to eight. Okay, well, then what about the seventh or the ninth team? Because there's always going – and, and – in this particular instance, let's just say you expanded it to six, all right? And begrudgingly, the committee feels like they've got to put an undefeated Cincinnati out of the group of five in there. But let's just also say that Florida beat Alabama in the SEC title game. Are you going to sit there and say you're going to take an undefeated group of five team over a one-loss team that lost, uh, that beat uh, the number one team in the country and then a one loss team that lost to what the number six team in the country. So in this particular instance, you're still trying to figure out, okay, who, who would we put in at six? Who would we put in at eight? Um, I, I wouldn't mind seeing it, but most of the time, I don't think there are eight teams that could win the national championship. Now, is there an any given Saturday scenario? Of course. I think in many instances, there generally aren't six. There's a reason why, the Oklahomas went out this year, but the Oklahomas, the LSUs, the Alabamas, the Ohio States, the Auburn, the usual suspects, the Clemsons, they're in there every year because they're flat better than everybody else. Tom, um, what the hell with Michigan and Penn State? <laughs> <laughs> Going from talking about teams that are very good and playoff worthy to a couple, a couple very abysmal seasons. Yeah, you know, I, I feel for Penn State a bit because – I think they were hit with some things early with the Micah Parsons opt out, just getting decimated at tailback. That did not help out Sean Clifford. Um, the way they lost the Indiana game, I think was a tough pill to swallow just because of the controversy of where that ball was from, from Michael Penix Jr. But they haven't dealt with injury and COVID very well. They haven't dealt with it as well as other teams. And I think it revealed that maybe their depth isn't quite what people were expecting it to be but when you can't run the ball and you continually turn the football over you play poorly in the spell in the kicking game and you're not going to win many football games now I think Michigan's an entirely different conversation because their their quarterback issues are so are so glaring now I'll get into this past weekend but let, let's not forget 
you know, this is the first player in Joe Milton that Michigan's actually playing with that Jim Harbaugh recruited. And is they're, they're actually playing with him. He inherited Dylan McCaffrey, okay? They took Brandon Peters in the year that he got there, okay? Brandon Peters is now playing good football for the University of Illinois um, and just got a big win over Nebraska last week. But Cade McNamara might change them. Cade McNamara changed their entire football team on Saturday. When he came into the game, all of a sudden, everybody got better. He walked into the huddle, and everybody played better than maybe they were capable of. Sometimes you get that dynamic from a leadership perspective and a guy kind of lights the fuse to, in, a, in a Baker Mayfield type of way. Because, I mean, guys, they just looked different. That kid came into the game and it was like night and day. It wasn't even the same football team. So it just goes to show you, if you hit on that position, it can cure a lot of woes. I mean, look, look at Pitt. Pitt loses Kenny Pickett and they literally start spiraling down the drain. All of a sudden they can't play defense anymore. They were a defensive football team. Now they can't throw the ball. They can't run the ball. They're an absolute mess. That guy's back for two weeks. They're an entirely different football team. So the quarterback, I think, for Michigan might solve some of their problems or at least get them going in the right direction uh, uh, going forward. But their, their inability to deal with uh, adversity, to deal with things not going their way has been startling for a team that's got you know a lot of upperclassmen on it. Yeah, well, it's hard to believe that either of those teams won't right the ship eventually come, coming yeah. out of this this season. But uh, working back kind of to the to the playoffs here, um, talking about bowls. So any given year, we're looking at 30, 35, 40 bowl games. And in the COVID year, and, and again, we've already talked about it a little bit. Do you foresee games being canceled on the lower end of these bowl rankings? And how is that even going to look with teams that are, are maybe even like a one-win Michigan team that might get into these bowl games moving into December and January? The only way I see that happening is if COVID causes it to happen because otherwise there's too much money involved. This, this thing isn't about football. It's not about win-loss records anymore. This is about generating revenue. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about losses of – 50 60 million dollars per athletic department across the country and, and how that impacts power five schools let alone group of five schools and then it trickles down to the fcs so you got a plan because there's money to be made and that money needs to be recouped and it needs to be stockpiled in any way you can so if that means you have two mediocre teams or a team with, with a losing record playing with a, a team with a 500 record but there's money on the line they're playing uh, Tom, talking about, um, you know, teams and, and with the bowl season coming up, um, you know, what are teams that have surprised you? Because people have talked about Northwestern. To me, that's not a team that has surprised me. Two years ago, they were in the Big Ten championship game. Now, yeah, it was kind of by default the way the things worked sure. out. But, I mean, you also have Oregon. Uh, they're in the top ten. First time in pack 12 teams have been in the top ten since 2018. You have BYU lighting the world on fire with Zach Wilson. And you have Cincinnati Bearcats. I mean, those are four teams that stick out to me. But what are some teams that stick out to you this season? Well, I think that you've mentioned BYU without question. I have actually had them. I've seen them. That quarterback is going to play himself right into the first round. He's that good. If you haven't seen Zach Wilson, you need to take the time to watch him. I mean, he's, he's magnificent. So they've, they've been a, a pleasant surprise, although I don't agree with what they did this week when, when Washington was agreeing to play them. And then they said, well, we want to wait and see where we're at with, uh, with the playoff rankings. That might be one of the all-time numbskull 
decisions in the in the history of administrative college football but we'll see how that plays out um you know it's interesting i think miami has been a, a pleasant surprise and the reason why i say that is we've always had preseason hype with miami teams before but the one thing that miami has struggled to do within the last 10 to 15 years is not deal with adversity they struggled dealing with success they struggle with people patting them on the back with things going well they don't seem to respond to that and this year, they have been able to capitalize one week after another. Outside of the Clemson contest, they'll win. People will be telling them how good they are, and they go out the next week, and they play even better. That surprised me because that's an intangible dynamic that they've been really, um, really lacking, in, in my opinion. A couple of teams that have surprised me on the, on the, the downside, um, I don't think you can look any further than, than LSU. I mean, I understand that they've had departures. I understand that – uh, they've had some COVID issues, but you don't go from having a season like they had to a season like they're having now overnight. Uh, that that's that's more than just departures to the NFL. That's that's been very disappointing, in, in my opinion. Um, I think probably the other surprise for me would be Notre Dame in the trenches. Notre Dame has been a team that has been highly competitive. And I've also often said that in today's college football world, this isn't 30 years ago, this isn't 40 years ago, that maybe nine to 10 wins every year is your max good year at Notre Dame in today's climate. I think Brian Kelly has not only sustained that, but he's probably eclipsed it. And I've said that before this 2020 season. And, and when you've watched them, when they've played in a college football playoff or against Alabama on the BCS national championship game, they were so outmanned athletically, especially up front, that they just they, they can't hold up. And for the first time, we saw them hold up up front against Clemson, you know, what, three weeks ago. And then they've been able to follow it up with, with repeat performances at a, at a very, very high level. They've surprised me. I knew they were going to be pretty good in their offensive line, but they've won trench battles. And, and it's been a long time since Notre Dame's done that. To that point real quick about Notre Dame, do you think there's anything to the fact that they're most likely going to be in the ACC title game? They never have that extra game going into the bowl season. It's going to be very different, I think, um, for them to prepare mentally for that game when they get to it in uh, three, four weeks' time. Always hard to beat somebody twice, right? I mean, it's always it, – they're gunning for you. The game was so close the first time. Everybody's going to put an asterisk by it because Trevor Lawrence didn't play. The reality is, if you go back and watch that game, would Trevor Lawrence have been any statistically better than, than DJ Uyangalale? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think so. I, if he was, it wasn't the offense that lost the game for, for, for uh, Clemson. It was their inability to stop explosive plays and, and contain an athletic quarterback in Ian Book. So the pressure will be on Notre Dame. I think that, um, you know, with Clemson, it – not being able to play this past weekend, you know, everybody talks about, oh, well, they didn't need that game. It has nothing to do with the tiebreakers. That's not the point. They needed the game so they can continue to move forward and get better and get more reps and get their quarterback back in sync. Um, you know, Pat Narduzzi, the head coach at Pitt, who's, who's got Clemson this week, and, you know, somebody somebody had said to him on, on, on his media call, said, you know, do you, do you think there'll be any rust with Trevor Lawrence? And he said, well, you get eight months during the offseason, and he didn't look rusty in the first four weeks, so I don't think two weeks are going to make an overly big difference on whether or not Trevor Lawrence is good to go. So uh, when we get to that point, it should be a hell of a football game. Yeah, certainly looking forward to 
playoffs and um, championship games as we move into that time. But I have, I have one last question for you, Tom. And, and I promise I'm not the COVID police. Everything I've asked you is, is revolved around that. No, that's um, all right. But, I deal uh, with it every day in this job. Heck, we got pulled <laughs> off the road because of it. So, yeah, I'm, I, I can't imagine not having, not getting to cover a game because it's a, that's. Oh, that's, we're covering a game, but we're doing it from a broom closet with a bunch of TVs on a wall. We're just not there. <laughs> even worse. Even worse. Yeah. Um, so I, I know that you're into the recruiting game and the scouting game whenever it comes to college. So how is that going to be affected by this as well? Because obviously you don't have the ability to bring people on campus. The official visits are going to look a lot different. So how is this going to change the recruiting game? And could we see some wild flips between players? Is, is that possible too? Look a lot different as in none, zero official visits. I, I am really alarmed by what's what potentially could take place here. So they shut everything down last spring. So you had no on-campus or off-campus contact, no spring evaluation period for the coaches. We didn't get to the spring uh, period to do official visits, so we didn't have any of that. No camps or combines. Uh, coaches couldn't have kids come and participate in camps. Fast forward to right now. Roughly 2,800 kids across the country will sign an FBS letter of intent. That's not even counting the FCS level. I bet you close to 70% of those kids will be signing with the school and they've probably never been on their campus. Now think about that. You're, you're talking about not going to their camp, not going on unofficial visits, not going on an official visit, all right? not being able to have face-to-face -face interaction, you've essentially been recruited on Zoom. It's all virtual. Their graphics and their internet department and their video uh, ops people have put together virtual official visits. Well, that's, I mean, that's nice and all, but you're talking about making a decision for the next three to five years of your life. And so, you know, my concern is that on both sides of the aisle, the player side and the coach's side, that are we going to have a bunch of buyer's remorse here? Are we going to be in a situation where a kid gets into February, March, April, whatever it is, let's just say he's a mid-year, or maybe he's not a mid-year, he's, a, he's a, a, a June enrollee. Are we going to have a bunch of people go, we made a mistake, or players saying, ah, I don't know why I did this. Well, I'll tell you why, because you didn't have a chance to gather any information. You didn't get a chance to educate yourself. You didn't get to get on campus and get face-to-face -face and you probably missed out in many instances on actually getting to play as a senior. This thing's whole, so muddy. Uh, the devil's always in the details as, as you guys know with anything. So how this thing, you know, ends up working itself out. I don't know. I don't have a magic ball. I don't think anybody has a crystal ball with this, but it's, it's concerning. I don't think there's any question about that. Tom, uh, last question before we let you go. And uh, we do thank you for your time uh, this evening. Uh, you've been very gracious um so it's actually a two-parter uh what's the craziest game of uh, you've you've seen live and uh what's it like to be part of the uh the most handsome booth in america with greg and uh, joe tess uh up in the booth well i'm not anymore unfortunately because oh, i live in charlotte i call games from from a remote location but prior let me correct that it's uh greg's third on the list i'm second and it was dave pash for seven years he's number one so we'll give dave the, the good looks award um that's a great crew, man. I, you know, I was able to be a field analyst. I was kind of the first guy they did it with in our company and we had a seven year run and then COVID hit and, you know, kind of all of us that lived near a studio, they basically said, Hey, if you live near a studio, we need you to call games off the road. Obviously 
safety protocols. So that's what we do now. I live in Charlotte. And, and so that's been an experience in and of itself. It's, it's, it's made me a, a much a better broadcaster. I can tell you that. Um, best game I've ever broadcasted. That is, Oh, that is a tough, tough, tough one to answer. Um, I don't know if I could answer that. I really don't. I, I would have to give that an awful lot of thought. I mean, I've been in, we've had a bunch of close games, a bunch, a lot of, a lot of fun games. I will say this, one of the most intriguing games, because you look back on it and, and see what it turned into is our crew had the Ohio state Michigan game when um, JT Barrett went down and then Cardell Jones comes in and he stunk. He was terrible. And a month later, they're national champions. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. I mean, we're all still looking back on that going, that, that was that guy, you know? So that one, that one definitely uh, uh, would, would come to mind for me. Yeah. And very interesting. I'm, I'm sure the hundreds, almost maybe thousands of games that you've caught, I, I can imagine it's hard to pick one, but yeah, that is <laughs> Tom, Tom, again, we really do appreciate you coming on and talking to us this evening and we appreciate your time. Um, as you go about your career and everything, please, uh, you know, you and your family and, and your colleagues, everyone you're around, please continue to stay safe. Um, you know, I'm sure that you are, but we want everybody to be happy and healthy. And um, again, thank you very much for coming on and hopefully we'll see you again down the road. Same to you guys and happy Thanksgiving to you and your families. Yep. Same to you. Thank you very yep. much, Tom. All right. Take care. Ryan. Wow. Tom, Tom was a great interview. I mean, I feel like we just keep getting lucky, uh, you know, with guests who are, you know, willing to come on and, and willing to talk. Um, I, I thought his answer about recruiting was very good, uh, talking about how everything's going to be done Zoom this year, and it's going to be very hard um, for, you know, campuses to get kids. And then Michigan, Penn State, you know, um, an, enough said. Well, knowing what goes on a little bit during recruiting visits and such, it, it definitely changes the dynamic. You Not being able to see campus is, is going to be a big difference. So I, I think you might see a, a – good many transfers in the next few years to, to no fault of the students, but just because of the dynamic. Yeah. But uh, NFL talk, we thought it was going to be the best game of the one o'clock slate. It wasn't Cleveland, Tennessee. Uh, Cleveland's going to have their first se season uh, above 500 since 2007. Uh, that was Derek Anderson year for all you People out there who I'm sure remember that uh, Derek Anderson taking uh, the Browns that year to ten and six um, that got Eric Mangini, <laughs> uh, you know, a contract extension, which is a funny saying in retrospect. Uh, but Baker, twenty five to thirty three, three thirty four, four touchdowns. All four of those came in the first half. I mean, <sighs> Ryan Tannehill, twenty nine for forty five, three eighty nine, three touchdowns, one pick. Derek Henry did not have a good day. Um, Cleveland obviously took control in the first half. They ran away with it in the first half. Tennessee going back and forth, you know, trying to get some points. Cleveland scores a touchdown, 41, you know, to go up 41 to, I believe it was 21 at that point. And then, you know, Tennessee in the fourth quarter scores two touchdowns um, to make it, you know, 41-35. But that the score was not as close as it indicates. Uh, Cleveland just kind of ran all over them with Nick Chubb. Um, really where I felt like things were a problem is Tennessee couldn't seem to get out of their own way, uh, late in, late in situations. They had a fourth down early in the first quarter that they didn't make with Eric Henry. Then they had 
another fourth down in the second quarter that they decided to kick a field goal instead of, um, you know, go for it. And, you know, they missed the field goal. I just, the game was strange and, and good for Cleveland. You know, they're definitely sitting pretty in the playoff picture uh, right now at number uh, five, but what's your thoughts? Cause Tennessee needed that game. They lost Indy one. Uh, now things are back to really square one in the AFC South, uh, which we didn't think they would be a week ago. Yeah. Well, number one, I want to give, I want to give big credit to Cleveland. It, even, even as a Steeler fan, it is hard to not feel good for the Cleveland Browns in their first winning season in 13 years. It just feels good. It feels good for them, and I'm sure it feels good for the fans. For years, I've said that Cleveland fans have to be the best fans in football. It's it's easy to be a, a fan of a team that wins every single year and a team that's always competitive. But, I mean, if you're a Browns fan, you basically just take your hits every single year and, and think to yourself, maybe next year. And they've been saying that, like you said, since Derek Anderson, which for anybody who's an NFL uh, I don't want to say historian in the true true sense, but if you remember the Derek Anderson years, you're you're committed to the sport. But one one thing we said on the show last week was Tennessee's pass defense not great, 28th in the league, and Baker Mayfield exploited that. He really got out to it in the first half, and they found their weakness. Now Tennessee fights back into the game, and, and the in clo the closing score is maybe a little less indicative of how the game felt. But it's weird looking at Tennessee because this is a team that we've hyped up a few times during the course of this show. And we've even said, you know, they could be a playoff contender. They could really go in and, and make a run deep in the AFC. But now we're talking about them kind of like we would an NFC team saying, we don't really know what to expect. We don't really know how to feel about this team because one week they look really good. They beat Baltimore. Then they play the game against Indianapolis. Then they come out and they do this against Cleveland. And it just, it feels like it's a little bit of a jumbled slate. But I think another thing that that proves too is we can sit here and do this show or anyone can sit and do any show. It's not easy to win in the NFL week to week. It, it's not an easy thing to do. And, and we'll, we'll cover a game where that, that might be as true as ever here soon. But Tennessee's up and down right now. I think they'll figure it out. I think Derrick Henry, again, he just seems to only get better with time. I, I don't doubt that Tennessee will still be tough going into the playoffs, but I don't know about you, Ryan. I'm giving a lot of credit to Cleveland being nine and three right now. I don't think anybody thought that Cleveland would be at nine and three, 12 games through this season. No. And I don't want to give credit to Cleveland, but I'm, you know, I have to, right. Because they're playing well, Nick Chubb, Clearly, it's a team that likes to run the ball. It seems like they actually found their identity with a guy in Kevin Stefanski who has the look of a coordinator, not the look of a head coach, if that makes sense. And I feel like some people might know what I'm talking about when I say that. Um, Romeo Cornell, a good example, like coordinator guy, not a head coach guy. But their next game next Monday at home, with or without fans, doesn't matter, but against Baltimore Baltimore is going to play Dallas tonight which they need that game right but that is essential in basically eliminating one or the other from the playoff picture because if Cleveland loses you have teams like Vegas sitting on the outside right you have teams like New England at six and six, I still don't know if they can make the playoffs, but 
they're finding their groove right now. And especially yesterday when they won 45, nothing, um, that's a team that might find themselves if, if things fall right. And I don't know, I mean, Baltimore, if they win that game, right, like they're going to jump up a spot, obviously into the playoff picture. So that's a big game next Monday. And man, I, I hate when the human wrecking ball doesn't have a good game, but you know, he can't, he can't run people over every single week. Um, but He's still probably the best running back in the league uh, outside gonna, of that. He's got to save it a little bit for next week, right? He's yeah. got to save a little bit of energy. Uh, I, I remember telling somebody on Sunday, they said, well, Derrick Henry's not really had – it might have even been you, Ryan. He said, not really having a good game through the first half. I said, well, he's got to run for 200 in the second half, and you can't you can't have them all in the first half. Right. Um, and, and Hansen said it best on the red zone. He said – the stunner of the day. And it really was a stunner because I felt like people, everyone, especially in the NFL side of things felt like it was going to be a back and forth, like a classic, like, you know, 31, 24 type game, you know, 31, 27 type game. And Cleveland just made it non-interesting by the second quarter. The best game of one o'clock was actually a game that if you remember, I said on our previous episode that I thought the jets could win and uh, the jets did what the Jets do uh, in 2020, they lost on a how Mary, an incredible one from Derek Carr, who threw three touchdowns, that being one of them. Darren Waller, 200 yards, exactly two touchdowns. But Greg Williams was fired uh, yesterday on Monday for the, essentially that play call. Really nothing else. Essentially that play call. I get it. But the Jets are going to clean house anyway. So to me, that firing doesn't make, you know, it doesn't matter because they're going to end up firing Adam Gase at the end of the year. They're going to get a rookie head coach, right? They're going to, they're going to draft a quarterback at the top, whether it's Trevor, whether it's Justin, you know, maybe they even go defense because sometimes te teams do that to change their fortune going forward. But I mean, that was one of the most incredible wins all year because like, look, the, the Arizona Hail Mary was dramatic because those two teams were at the top of their game at the time. Um, and the reason I say at the time, we'll, we'll touch on it in a moment, Arizona has not looked good of late. But Derek Carr to have the five, five seconds is when Henry Ruggs got into the end zone. And my mouth dropped to the floor. And then in the upper left-hand corner in red zone, it was one of the most incredible. I've been watching NFL red zone since it started in 2009, Ryan. I love the NFL red zone. I think, I think we've talked about this. <laughs> that was one of the most incredible witching hours. I'm truly saying that, that I've ever been a part of because in the upper left-hand corner, you had Detroit, Chicago, where Chicago fumbled the ball with a minute 40 left. Detroit, oh my gosh, they just took over. Then in the right-hand corner, you had Houston Indy where Deshaun Watson fumbles. Oh my gosh. Bottom left-hand corner, Ryan, you had Minnesota Jacksonville where Jacksonville is going to take this thing to overtime. Are you kidding me? And then in the bottom right-hand corner is right when that game finished for the uh, Jets and Raiders. Boom, touchdown. I mean, that was... I don't, I don't think I'm being, you know, overstating this here. That was one of the most incredible witching hours you know, and for our guy, Scott Hansen, who's been doing it 200 episodes this past Sunday, uh, good for him because I think he was out of breath. I think he uh, needed like a gallon of water after that witching hour. Uh, what's your thoughts on the Jets? I mean, does it even matter that they lost the way they did? 
not for the New York Jets, not the way this season's gone. So some of the funniest things to come out of it are, are the tweets. And this is probably my favorite one. Uh, Wade Phillips is one of those people that I think, to your point, has the look of a coordinator, is maybe not a great head coach, was a, was a pretty good defensive coordinator. I know some teams kind of had their ups and downs with him a little bit, but overall a, a pretty good coordinator in the NFL. So he tweets, uh, this is this morning, but after, or yesterday morning now, but after the game, his tweet says, there's a reason it's called zero coverage because sometimes it means no coverage. To single cover maybe the fastest player in football or second player, fastest player behind Tyreek Hill is, I just don't know how you do that. How do you not behind him? How do you not have a safety over top? Just even if they're playing center field in that sense, how are you not, how do you not have a second person accounted for Henry Ruggs? Or, or even for, you know, somebody like Darren Waller, if he was able to get, because he had a great game on Sunday too, but singling, again, one of the fastest players in football with what is likely a below average cornerback playing for New York this season, it's a tough look. It's a very tough look. And I'm, I'm not going to say I don't understand firing Greg Williams. Again, you're right. Everyone's going to be gone, but I, I mean, it's, it's just a, it's absolutely insane, but, the, the one thing, though, about New York is we, we say this, but we said it for Cleveland for the last 13 years, too. Things can only get better, right? Doesn't the, the future is, is going to be good if you can draft Trevor Lawrence and hopefully they can score a big head coach like Eric Bieniemy from Kansas City, who's maybe even a little bit more offensive minded, find a good defensive mind to bring in there uh, to kind of encapsulate the defense. But they just they need some better talent overall and I think that's I think that's what it's going to be you know sometimes these teams sometimes they just don't have the same talent pool um Ty Johnson the running back coming in for Frank Gore ran for 100 yards so I mean if if they can get a little bit younger on that regard and and keep somebody like Ty who's a little bit faster um doesn't really have the same chances it's going to be it's going to be a complete overhaul though I don't expect a lot of people to be there um now I know I'm getting back into my Steelers pool here but Whenever Chuck Noll was hired as the coach in 1969 to the time they won their first Super Bowl in 1974, I believe he had nine players on that roster from the 69 team. So, I mean, a, a complete, completely different franchise at that point in, in some regard. And I think you're going to need something like that for the Jets. But the Raiders are still in it. Raiders podcast is live, Ryan. Yeah, we we are. And I can't wait to talk about this game on the Friday episode, but they play the Colts on Sunday at the weird four, weird 405 slot. Uh, that's a, that's another huge AFC playoff, uh, maybe not elimination, but that that's a huge matchup, you know? And um, the, the, the one last thing I'll say about the blitz that was called, even if you call a blitz, cause that happens all the time late in fourth quarter with situations like that. Um, to not have, like you said, a safety over the top to help him. And it was really just essentially like a quick double and go on a post route. Just, it was very odd to watch and it, great win for Vegas. And, uh, you know, they needed it and they're, they're sitting right there at number eight and uh, they're outside of the playoff picture where Indy is number seven. So we'll see what happens on Sunday. However, 
moving along. Speaking of weird, 405 slot uh, mixed in with all the weird witching hour stuff um, that was happening. Like I said, one of the most incredible witching hours I've ever seen. Um, Rams, Arizona. Uh, Jared Goff, 37 for 47, 351, one touchdown. Rams were 9 of 15 on third down. That's really where they won the game. Very efficient, right? Um, but then you had Kyler, 21 for 39, three touchdowns. Um, he, the problem with Arizona, and they, they still could find themselves in the playoffs, but the problem with Arizona is they've lost four of five. If it wasn't for the Hal Mary, they would have lost five of five. And the, the team is on the brink right now of, of not making it like we thought they would just a week and a half ago. But it, it's, it's partly because they're not playing well, and it's also partly because Minnesota is. And Minnesota, it's a team that I don't think either me or you thought was going to make the playoffs, but they could find themselves on wild card weekend. I just – Arizona's – they're interesting because – they could have a good game where Kyler throws three touchdowns like this, but lose. Well, I think, and, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I want to give more credit to the Rams. And and I want to do that today here too, because they're, they're these ads on my computer are terrifying me today, but I want to give more credit to the Rams because they're, they're earning it. They're coming into these, what are listed as tough games and, and really taking advantage and, and winning them and putting themselves in a position to be competitive in the playoff picture. And now based on the results of Sunday's games, which I'm not going to make fun because again, it's not easy to win in the NFL, but the giants knocking off the Seahawks, which I don't think anybody thought would happen the Rams have now moved into essentially a first place in the, in the NFC West. So that, that means even more to the Rams to, to win this game, because again, the, the Cardinals, even though they've been falling down, you can't deny the talent. You're not going to act like Arizona doesn't have talent. And, and sometimes these teams just don't click. It's not all happening at the same time. You can't get things started. Things stop. It happens, right? That's how football works. You, you need it to gel all at the same time. But I think that's kind of what's happening with the Rams. They're starting to find that groove a little bit. Maybe the San Francisco game was a little bit of a, just a little bit of a bump in the road. And, and I'm not going to knock San Francisco, but I think LA is kind of finding their groove a little bit. And, and winning that game against Arizona continues to prove that. Um, but I, I, I want to be a, I want to be a Rams fan. Now coming up on Thursday, if, if the game is, is played and I feel that that, disclaimer is necessary considering how this season's gone if if they're able to do it again against the Patriots and continue this train going I, I think you got to watch out for the Rams in the NFC because the NFC is as jumbled as it's probably ever been and again we'll say that until the playoffs but give give some credit to the Rams for the way they've been able to attack this back half of the season yeah absolutely and it's good to have Thursday night football back like we're gonna have this week um, because that's also big for New England, right? They're sitting at six and six, and that's kind of uh, really a, a brink game for them. And what I mean by a brink game is you got to back up the trucks. You got to put all, all your ducks in a row for that one because um, that's a must win for them um, going forward to try to slip into the wild card if they want to, because if they don't, and things don't fall their way, then it's then it's toast. You know, I mean, it's ball game. Um, and then Arizona has 
like you said, New York. I don't think either of us thought they were going to beat Seattle. Good win for them. Uh, Colt McCoy, Alfred Morris. Uh, it, it's not 2012. I just want everyone to know it's 2020. Speaking and, of people that have been around for a long time. Yeah. Colt, Colt McCoy, it, to me, is like Jim Sorgi from the <laughs> mid-2000s, where he just yep. he is a backup quarterback everywhere. And he's like the new version of Jim Sorgi. Hey, I'm going to go back up someone or I'm going to be a Charlie Whitehurst. That's a good comparison too. Cause Charlie Whitehurst went everywhere um, and get a start here and there and maybe get a victory. Maybe not. If not live to fight another day uh, in Alfred Morris with two touchdowns, but they play Arizona on Sunday. So um, the Eagles are the only team that Alfred Morris has never played for in the NFC East. So if, if your Eagles could make that happen, I would be very interested in that. I'll pass. I'll pass. <laughs> Glad you brought up Philly. Glad you did because it happened. Maybe they heard my rant. I don't know. Um, their next three games, New Orleans, Arizona, Dallas. It was 23 to three. And I'll never forget this moment. Sitting watching the game, Jim Nance, Tony Romo, Jalen Hurts is coming into the game. And I, I got my hopes up, right? Because I was like, oh boy, this is this is not gonna be good because they're gonna just put him in for a snap like they did against Seattle or two snaps, take him out. You know what I mean? But Tony Romo said it best during the game. You don't you don't draft a guy's second round to not play him at some point now whether he's ready or not that that's irrelevant because the division's still up for grabs even with washington's win and and uh the giants win against seattle this weekend and washington beating pittsburgh on monday it's still up for grabs really um because the eagles have the tie and it's ironic that the tie is keeping them in in it to begin with but Wentz was sacked four times and aaron Rodgers. 295, three touchdowns. I don't think that shocks anyone. But Hertz comes in and throws 109 yards, one touchdown. And really, you could see it in the game. He gave them a spark. That That's all you need going forward. Because if you light a fire under Carson by doing that, good. If you don't, then you got to stick with Jalen. But it was clearly a spark. He throws the touchdown. Then they get a punt return, which has nothing to do with him, right? But then they get the punt return for a touchdown, and you can start to feel things like the energy's picking up for them. I, you know, clearly Green Bay was too much um, going going forward late into that game, but I mean, it was it was a one possession game and with twenty three sixteen late in the fourth, which no one thought was. was possible around the second third quarter and green bay sits at number two right now in the nfc playoff picture behind new orleans who beat atlanta yesterday but i mean philly's still in it they're still in it and they put in hurts and i'm glad so i want to i want to turn this back around on you for a kind of a gut reaction if you will because i don't i don't know based on the results of sunday's just the way Sunday played out for Philadelphia. I don't think Carson Wentz is going to be there next year. I, I just don't. Do you want Jalen Hurts or do I, – I guess I could phrase this a little bit better. Do you think or trust 
Jalen Hurts moving into next season as the starting quarterback? Do you think he's an NFL quarterback? I don't know if he's an NFL quarterback, but the the point is like you got to do whatever is best for the team. And Carson's not best for the team anymore. And something happened from his – it's not the injury anymore, but something happened to where he just – he looks out of sync all the time with his wide receivers, with – you know. And I understand he got them to the playoffs, you know, the year before. But, I mean, come on, man. Like, the division's still up for grabs. You got the tie. Why not go for it? Put in Jalen. And Jalen's the best guy for the job. And I think what's going to happen on Sunday is they're going to stick with Jalen. And I think he's going to be the starting quarterback the rest of the season. And then I think when we get to next July around training camp time, we're going to have a quarterback competition. Because I think what they're going to do next year going forward is they're going to – because they can't cut Carson Wentz after this season. That'll be too big of a cap hit for them. So what, what's going to end up happening, I think, is they're going to keep Carson on for another year, make it a quarterback competition type thing, and see if they can trade him after that offseason in 2021 to get rid of his contract that they paid him to a team maybe like San Francisco. Because we don't know what's going to happen with Jimmy G, right? Or a team like – I mean, another team that doesn't have a quarterback, I guess, Indianapolis? Cause I know I, people have floated around the Indianapolis idea. I, I mean, we know Jacob Beeson's. Frank Wright, you know what I mean? Like, right. he's there. So, uh, it, it's just, it's all, it's all trending in the right direction now. Because even if they, even if they don't win another game the rest of the season, what they did by putting Jalen Hurts in, Doug Peterson finally admitted, hey, I should have listened because he was even talking after, you know, the game, Jalen gave us the life of energy, gave us, you know, gave us a spark, you know, all that boring coach speak stuff that you hear, but it's true. And it's true. I don't know if this, I I don't know if Jalen hurts is the long-term answer of this team either personally, but for the rest of the season, I don't think you can go back to Carson Wentz just based on what you see on a game to game basis. He is hurting that team more than he's ever helping them. He looks broken. Yeah, and, and I don't know if that's I don't know if that's something that falls in because you mentioned it. If if maybe he went to Indianapolis, and there were reports over the weekend of oh he could be a successful quarterback if he went to Indianapolis because he would be back with Frank Reich and they could rekindle that. Maybe he just works well under Frank Reich's system. That could be a possibility. But whatever's happened to him as he's kind of digressed since his injury a few seasons back. It's fallen off. When when we were talking about Carson Wentz as potentially one of the next one of the next pillars of NFL quarterbacks during that season, saying, "Man, this is this is building something special in Philly," and and now we're talking about Jalen Hurts, who admittedly may not be the best college quarterback ever, but replacing him at the end of the season because we're sitting here saying Carson Wentz can't win games. It's it's a massive downfall since that since that injury against LA a few years ago. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say about Hertz is I, I'm not a big um, how do I put this? I'm not a big option quarterback type guy like where you know Cam is a perfect example where Cam does a lot of running the ball right now in New England and that's helped them get back to six and six. But I'm not really that type of guy that's like hey let's you know let's throw the quarterback out there and have him run you know two or three times, a you know, a drive because 
you know, clearly quarterbacks can get hurt that way. Um, but Jalen Hurts being able to scramble at least and keep plays alive, like that's the kind of stuff that helps a team going forward, gives a little bit of energy. You know, you can throw check downs and get, you know, five yards instead of a two-yard loss. And Carson can't scramble either. So I'm glad no, I, I'm glad uh, they put in Hurts. But um, n- another episode in the books. And, um, Ryan, I, I uh, can't wait for Friday's episode. We have a very uh, good interview. Our first, you know, I'm not going to tell the people who it is, but our first non-sports guest. Yeah, still, I, still a little bit in the sports realm, but definitely a non-sports guest and a great interview nonetheless. But also, on top of the interview, we have a big weekend of football, a big weekend of games. It's it's really getting down to crunch time in college football and NFL. So it's it's starting to feel fun. It's starting to feel big. And here we are. We're still doing it. We're excited. And let's have another big weekend of football, huh? Yeah, let's have another big weekend. And uh, Ryan, we'll see everyone on Friday. Yep, we'll see you guys.